Hey guys, welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. Section in the Bible, and it used to be something that I would read and you know, there would be a couple of really neat takeaways, and it's really amazing that this lady kind of walked in and she was wetting her, you know, his feet with her tears and all these things. But the more I thought about it throughout the week, the more I thought, man, this is one of the most important, like, principles uh, for us to learn if we're going to continue on to spiritual formation. And that's what we're talking about, right? This year is the idea of not staying the same far too often. In Christianity, it's too easy to go, hey, you become a Christian and then, hey, that's kind of it. But that's never been the will of God. That's never been the, the reason why God saves us. That's not the purpose is there's there's something about transforming us from the inside out that shows the world God's grace and God's power. Right. There, it's hard to argue with a changed life. It's hard to argue with a changed life. And so that's what we're talking about in this journey to spiritual maturity. And uh, the great thing about coming together as a community is we're all starting in some different places. And the goal isn't to find out like, well, who's behind me and who's ahead of me and all of these things. This idea of we're going to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And we want to go really go towards this goal of being formed on the inside. And remember one of the things we talk about that formation on the inside isn't just changing our behavior or changing different decisions we make, but a full change of how we view things, our attitudes towards things, is that we are actually different people on the inside. So it should be common when the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of us. It should be a common thing that there are things the way, that there's ways that we used to think that we don't think any longer, right? Of how we view things. Before I had the Holy Spirit in me, there are ways that I viewed politics and there are ways that I viewed our culture and there are ways that I viewed people. And there were all of these ways that I saw. And the Holy Spirit, though, is transforming that, not to make me um, more, uh, you know, like savvy politically or culturally or any of those things, but to change me into his likeness, the way he views um, the world. So this, this is a, an amazing section here. It's also one of those sections I've learned as we break down the context of it, which we know context is so absolutely important. Sometimes when we break down the context, uh, even that in a really strange way, and maybe you can't relate to this at all. But again, I'll kind of project my own weakness onto you, okay? It is, it is when you read these things, we can almost become more enamored by the context than the message. Yeah. What do I mean by that? What I mean is we can go around and go, oh, wow, there was this woman and the contextualization of it, the kind of understanding of where Jesus is going and what's going on is, is this woman was probably a, an, a prostitute. And then we learn things about like, what did that little flask of oil mean? And what did it mean to wash your feet? And what did it mean to have a kiss to greet you? And all of those things are very important. 
they're very important to set up what the true message was. Sometimes it's, again, it's easy to go, man, I learned more about a first century like prostitute, or I learned what it meant to greet someone with a kiss and going, but see, those facts don't transform us. It's this idea of getting into this, the, the message. That's what the context helps us with here. So uh, Luke read this. Lucas read Luke for us, right? Uh, and, and it's really fascinating. I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, read again so we can get an idea. And I just would really encourage you to pay attention to the Holy Spirit pointing things out to you. Pointing out words and thoughts and ideas just to be sensitive to that. Um, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And a woman in town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. And she wiped his feet with the hair of of her head, kissing them and anointing them with the fragrant oil. So what's important to know is Luke wasn't there at the time. Luke, somebody was telling him the details of this story. Could you imagine that? This is one thing I'm going to ask you to do is to put yourself at that table. All right, to put yourself at that table. And again, the idea, the contextualization of going, well, how was his feet like where they were and all these kind of things? Well, I mean, you know, you kind of recline at the table and your feet are behind you. It's just different than the way we do it here. But this wasn't out of the ordinary. But I want you to put yourself at the table and you say, okay, here's we're in the house of a Pharisee. Right. He, he's a religious leader. And here's Jesus who's been making these claims and people are trying to figure him out a little bit. And now a, a woman comes in and she's standing behind him and she's just weeping. OK, I want you to think about what would be going through your mind as you're there at the table. She, she walks in and just, just she's just she's weeping so just so much that her tears are falling on his feet. And she's got this, this fragrant oil and she's, she's pouring the oil on his feet and she's pull, taking her hair down, which, listen, she shouldn't have done that in their culture. And she did. And it's, you know, you get this idea. But, but I want to ask you a question, though. Was she a nice lady? Or what she mean? Did she have good attitude or bad attitude? Here's why I say that. And I would ask the same thing about Simon the Pharisee. Is he a good guy or a bad guy? It's so easy for us to go, oh man, the Pharisees. And then the. Hey, here's the deal is, is let, we do ourselves a disservice to project something into the scripture like, oh, of course, Jesus would like her if she was nice. Maybe she wasn't. <laughs> Maybe she was just mean spirited. But a lot of times it's like, no, but he wouldn't have saved her if she was like that, right? Really? We do ourselves a disservice when we think that, oh, no, she was this like super kind, outgoing lady that just came in and she's had some. There's a really good chance that she wasn't. And, and you wonder what? There might be a really good chance. We're going, oh, but that Pharisee, Simon, man, you know, all the Pharisees were bad. Really? Well, I know a lot of bad people that I like a lot. And I'm not always the greatest myself. But, but it's, again, I want us to just be 
cautious as we read that because it's very easy to go, man, he must have been this jerky guy. Have you ever been a jerk before? Just been a jerk, okay? Hey, man, I mean, but it's so easy to go in and start going, well, what if Simon was just a kind of a nice guy, but he's trying to figure it out himself? If, there, if that was true, it wouldn't negate any of the power of Jesus. In fact, it would only like, like magnify it. Again, I just want us as we're reading this to not read into uh, something or project something that may quite honestly like diminish the power of Jesus. And it may even create a theology inside of us that's just not healthy. Like Jesus will help nice people when they're having a hard time, but not bad people. I mean, that's not accurate, okay? Uh, so, again, putting ourselves in that place, how uncomfortable would you feel? A lady walked in, and you're going, wow, I don't know. She's a prostitute. She's from town. She comes in. She's just weeping. You know, most of the time we have a situation like that, we don't want to look. We, we want to look away. Like it's like, oh, my goodness, this is so uncomfortable. When is this going to stop? But here's the thing that me and you need to do is we we've got to lock in and if we're sitting there going what is happening right now she knows something that maybe we don't know yet clearly she understands something about Jesus that maybe we don't understand yet right of the two Simon the Pharisee or the woman the sinner the prostitute weeping at Jesus feet which one would you most want to be like That's a tough question, isn't it? So you're like, well, which one do I want to be? I want you to just let that question sit there because it says something to, again, the, our theology and the way we approach God oftentimes is we go, no, I want to be like Simon. Do you want to be like Simon? No, I want to be like the, do you want to be like the woman? Okay, just let that kind of sit in there for a minute as we continue to go on. Here's the interesting thing. She's true vulnerability. It doesn't need to wait for per perfect circumstances. Okay, if there's something we can learn from this, this lady is, boy, she was out. She was just vulnerable. She was like, this is, I don't care. People in here, you can say whatever you want about me. I need this man. He's the only one like I'm done with the way I do life. And she may have been humiliated and scared and all these things. And why do I put this point up? So last week we talked about Jesus being and, and making sure we're aware of Jesus having a calming presence. That's really important. There's so much of Jesus' teachings. If he didn't have a calming presence, it would be ridiculously hard to follow his teachings. But we live in a world where in, in a lot of ways that word you call vulnerability, that's, that's it right there. And it is. Except one of the things that we may attempt to do is I'll be vulnerable when everything is perfectly safe. When everyone there is perfectly safe. When every situation, then I'll be vulnerable. Except we miss out on the fact that Jesus is absolutely safe in every circumstance. What was difficult was this idea of her going, going, you wonder what? There are men at this table that aren't safe. And they can go say things about me. And they can go, and here's the thing, as a follower of Jesus, okay, is if we're waiting for there to be a safe environment where nobody can hurt us, that will never, first of all, it won't ever exist. Second of all, this is, how are we going, how is the world going to see the power of Jesus? 
Are people going to say the wrong? Yes. Are people going to persecute the church? Yes. Are people going to say rotten things? Yes, that will happen. But she understood there's, the, there's a safe person in this room, and it's Jesus. And that's who I'm going to. Y'all can say whatever you want, but that's the guy for me. She understood something. Now, if you guys remember back in Luke chapter 4, when, when Jesus first came up and he, and he, he was going to teach in the synagogue and he opened up a scroll and the scroll is from Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, right? There was somebody in that room that knew this about Jesus. There was somebody that was like, yeah, this guy's here. This is the guy I've heard of who is coming to preach good news, not to the affluent, not to those who have it all on straight spiritually, not to the all-stars of the church, anything like that. He came to preach good news to the poor. And can you imagine her going, yeah, that's me. I'm poor in spirit. You know, proclaim freedom, recovery of sight, to set free the oppressed. You see, she understood this. If there's somebody that we could sit back and go, wow, I want so much to understand like what was going on in her mind because she understood it. She had this. So when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he saw this going on, Simon sitting there and uh, probably a little uncomfortable himself. The interesting thing about Simon being a Pharisee is, is in his zeal, he felt like in his deepest heart of hearts, he had to protect the kingdom of God. Right? That, that's why this is so important to the Pharisees. Is It's like, no, we got to make sure that nothing unclean enters the kingdom. Except it was going way off the rails. But So we have to understand, Simon is sitting there going, hold up a minute. I'm not sure if this should be happening. And when he saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who, um, who and what kind of woman this is and who is touching him. She's a sinner. Now, it's, it's interesting that uh, Jesus n- knew this. Don't, seriously, don't let that freak you out about Jesus. If he couldn't, there's something wrong. I don't think Simon the Pharisee knew he could do this. Jesus said, you know, instead of Jesus going, I know what you just, I know what you just thought. I know what you just thought. He says, no, 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 Simon, I have something to say to you. Have you ever had a thought go into your mind that's like, uh-uh, I'm not going to. You know, and, and it might be one of those thoughts like, you know, you, you really are bold in your thoughts. Man, and you, you have a conviction and all these things. And then Jesus goes, hey, Simon, I have something to tell you. Teacher? <laughs> right? It's just like he just cowered back. Teacher? He said, uh, and then Jesus tells him this story, and it's such a fascinating story. How random is that? You're, you're here to talk to me about debt and credit and <laughs> who's this? Like, this is so strange. He said, you know, one of them owed a lot of money, one of them didn't owe that much, but neither could pay it. Don't you love how Jesus 
is, is teaching a spiritual principle and Simon doesn't seem to realize he's like being involved in this story here. Okay? And he graciously forgave them both. So, which one uh, of them will love him more? Okay? And I want you to just lock into that statement right here. That's what this is all about. In this story. That's what this is all about. Who will love him more? Which one of these will love him more? And, and some said, well, I suppose uh, the one that he forgave more. And, and it's interesting because Jesus said, well, you've judged correctly knowing that you just judged incorrectly before I started talking. Okay, so he gives him a little credit there. Right? But he's a pro. That, that's the thing. Simon the Pharisee's a pro. He's a pro religious guy. He's professional. He knows how to come into a church and he knows how to like, hey, everything's okay, you know, and all these things. Then you have this poor lady. So as we're reading through this and we've just met both, right? We've both seen kind of the character of how they're approaching Jesus here. But here's what the pro says. And and here's this is what I'm really going to ask us to do is to examine according to how I think and according to how you think. See, because we can be professional Christians. Where it's like, I got it all together. Everybody else got the problem. See, that's what a pro says. What's wrong with the world is everyone else. That's what a professional says. Simon the Pharisee, if he were a prophet, he'd know. What's she doing in here? Like, he was well aware of what was wrong with her. She was like, could you imagine... It would have been not totally out of character, necessarily, for her to walk in and to be completely irate at the Pharisee. You call yourself a man of God, and you don't even, you see me out on the street, and you don't love me, and you don't, and you notice that there's not any of that in there because she wasn't in there to make a statement about somebody else. She said, You know, the problem in my world is me. That's got to be taken care of first. All right. Now, this this does take us places in our own culture of Christianity, because sometimes discipleship can become very like um, desirous. Like we want discipleship when it's just about changing other people. When it's just about giving other people and having expectations on other people how to follow Jesus. And it becomes very real when we're. But when we're coming to Jesus and, and, and going, man, there's something wrong with me. Because the way Jesus makes discipleship work, it isn't passing along just information. It's being able to pass along, this is how this has happened in me. The practicality of saying that. And, and if, if we can't do that, it doesn't mean we can't say anything, but we have to be honest. Man, I need to work on that. I need to get better at that, right? The pro... Again, knowing what everyone else's problem is and thinks that's godly. Feel better about myself when I know somebody else is struggling, right? Better them than me. Like, this is my spiritual act of worship. I know what's wrong with people. Okay, there's a problem with that, right? The sinner says, regardless of what others need to do, I must take responsibility for myself. Isn't it easy in a church environment to go, well, you know, it would be so much better. You know, such and such didn't talk to me. So and so didn't do this. I'd be doing better if that was happening. 
going, really? No, none of that's the case. I mean, we're, we're coming, can it be better? Can the church grow? Absolutely. Right? But it's this idea of knowing that, hey, you want to know what? Uh, regardless of what anyone else needs to do, that we need to take responsibility for ourselves. So turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Here's what I love about this, okay, is if you can just mentally in your brain, you may you go all the way back, Genesis 16, or uh, gosh, what was it? Yeah, Genesis 16, I think, right in there. Um, and you have um, um, Sarah and Hagar, and Hagar has Ishmael, right? And then she's being treated poorly and being sent out, and, and Hagar goes out with Ishmael and and. She's just hurting. She's struggling. And then she realizes that God has come and was speaking to her. And she named God El Roy, the God who sees me. Okay. That, that is such a vital aspect to God's character. You want, nobody else gave God a name except for her in the whole Bible. She was the only one. That's who you're. You're the, you're the one who sees me. And it's really interesting because Jesus even approaches Simon and says, do you see her? Now, if we're going to mature, here's where everything starts coming together, okay? If we are really going to be formed into the likeness of Christ, if we're really going to have this spiritual transformation, if we're really going to be moving on to maturity, there, there has to be a time where we stop and we're able to see people. So, the past month or so, we've talked, about a, lot, we've talked a lot about slowing down. We've talked a lot about having a, a ton of time in prayer, humility, submission to Jesus. We talked about these things because without them, we're not going to be able to mature without these things. And so this is so important for Jesus. And, and you want to think like what she's feeling where he says, Simon, do you see her? Like, really see this happening. I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with, with olive oil, but she's anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she's loved much. But the one who has forgiven little loves little then he said to her your sins are forgiven so there's something that's standing out here you're talking about this lady and she had her sins forgiven okay so i want you to think about what that means right in our culture as our culture continues to grow into a culture that tries to avoid all pain, anything uncomfortable, anything hard, as we, as we evolve as a culture towards that, and it's inside of Christianity as well, right? As we evolve that way, sin finds its way moving further and further and further back away because we start going, no, if I, if I acknowledge sin, that's going to make me feel bad. And I don't want to feel bad. Feeling bad is the worst thing that could happen to me. But it's really interesting here because the ability and this woman being forgiven 
seems to unlock her love for Jesus. It's really fascinating. We're going to look a little bit more into that, okay? Oftentimes we look at forgiveness. And, and you know what's a little bit sad is, um, I, I don't know how much we even talk more in, in the Christian world. You know, we, we talk a lot about not judging. We, we talk a lot about, you know, um, we, we want to love one another. And we want to, amen. All of that's fantastic. And we forget there is something so incredible for God to go, I can wash you of your sin completely. Everything you've ever done, everything you will do, that can be absolutely gone. And here's the sad part about that is that may not move your heart at all. We're going to have to sit in that for a second. It's supposed to move our heart. We can go, oh yeah, well that's what he's supposed to do, right? I want to be forgiven. This is kind of like what ends up happening. So I don't have to feel bad or guilty anymore. I don't know if that's the right thing. I don't really know. I don't know. I don't know if it's that idea of going, man, okay, I want this transaction with Jesus so I can feel better about me. I'm tired of feeling guilty. I'm tired of, of feeling bad or, or whatever, regretting. I, I want to be forgiven so I can go to heaven. Hey, the, at its core, that's great. That, that's fantastic. But it doesn't tell the whole story. Okay. But what if I want to be forgiven? I want my sins washed away because I understand my sin is what's preventing me from loving and being loyal to the king of this kingdom. That's what's getting in the way. That's what, see, here's the deal is when I feel guilty or I feel shame or I feel something like this, understand something. That's exactly what sin is supposed to do. Sin is supposed to produce things inside of us. Bad things. Sin is supposed to make us not trust. Sin is supposed to make us unhappy. Sin is supposed to be seen, right, as just this thing that offers so much and delivers so little. But here's the whole deal that we can never forget, and we learn from this young lady right here, is this idea of going, hold on a minute, there was one thing she wanted, and she would not be deterred from being near Jesus, Jesus is the treasure. That, that's so important, right? Because a lot of times we go, man, when you become a disciple, man, everything, like the whole world opens up to you and there's all of these great things and great relationships. See, great relationships not the treasure. A great church isn't the treasure. Because it's so easy, because we could go and, and we could build a church and we could do a whole lot of things and Jesus is just like a side figure. Jesus is the treasure, that's who it is. And, and we start to see, wow, this woman understood that. She was so moved, just weeping because she's going, man, here's my life. And here's the only one who can help me. That's all. Like, I've got nothing left. And I wonder if we were to sit down with her, I wonder how well she could disciple our heart. It would be uncomfortable to sit down and her to begin to ask us, like, hey, tell me about your story. Tell me about your, your love of Jesus. Tell me about, you know, and just she's excited. And, and us going, well, yeah, that, it was cool. I mean, I was a pretty good guy before I got baptized. Well, I hope we don't ever say that. 
Because what we're saying is, it's like, I really didn't need him. I wasn't that bad. I wasn't that bad. I mean, it, you know, it's like, no, you don't understand. Uh, we were objects of wrath. We couldn't save ourselves. But I wonder if we protect ourselves from really being desperate. I don't know. Again, here's the thing. We, we, we live in a world where uh, this idea of going, man, we are broken people. We, we are. We, we are broken people. Okay. As a follower of Jesus, as somebody who has the Holy Spirit in my, inside of myself, I can't stay broken. What do I mean by that? Is again, there's kind of this idea of going, man, I, I love it when people are so real and we end up just like languishing in our brokenness but what the world needs to see is yes we, we are broken but he repaired you right like he can't do that I, I think it's so we want so much to like create a community of people around us that man it, it's cool and it's a it's a super laid-back group and it's all and we're so vulnerable sometimes we can be so smart listen I'm telling you I, I know this about me we can be so clever when it comes to discipleship. We can be so clever, like, oh, no, you don't understand, man. We're a broken group, and we're so humble. It's not like this other group, and they're so arrogant, and they don't. But you're repaired, right? Well, no, because that would mean I've, like, reached it. We don't want a group of people that say they've, like, reached it. Well, uh, we're not reaching it. But Jesus does have power, Right? I mean, we're so scared to go, man, I once was this. Do you think the woman has been cruising around the city going, man, I went and weeped at this man's feet. And it was great because it took a weight off of my shoulder. But I'm still the same. I just want to be humble. I'm broken still. Why are we going to go to him then? See, I could do that with anyone. But with Jesus, you're broken, and we are broken, but the Holy Spirit repairs. Okay, this is Kintsugi. You heard of that before? It's a type of, like, it's really valuable. And it's a type of pottery that it's broken and then put back together, but the cracks and the breaks are highlighted with gold powder. And what makes it beautiful is it's whole, but you see where it was broken. This is, to me, when I look at this, I'm like, that's it right there. Yeah, you want to know what? We've got cracks, and we've got fissures, and we've got all these things. And then Jesus is like, you want to know what? When I repair you, there, yes, you can share with people. This is where I was broken. But man, here's where he plastered it back together with gold. And again, understand something. It's not this idea of going, no, once I've got it all figured out. But it is that idea of let's never forget that we are following a king who heals, who fixes, who repairs, who has the power to do that. Right? Let's not forget that and be so clever in our humility. <laughs> right? And, and in our humility, feeling so sorry for the other arrogant people around us. That we negate giving this amazing credit to God who is repairing us, not for us, but that his name would be glorified.
It's a cool thing. We do some things in our world, though. Okay. Um, you guys maybe are familiar. Um, this is like a, a selfie filter. Okay. Okay. Le seriously, though. This is the king that rules our world. And I'm not joking. I'm not playing around. Okay. What, the, what everyone is being discipled in in the world, and the younger you are, the more you're being discipled into this, is you want to know what? No, 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 don't let anyone see you like you really are. See, because here's the thing. Remember we talked last week about how Satan has got us so wrapped up that I can go and put a, a filter on me. And I'm going to see those people the next day and they're going to know that's not me. Say, Keith, you're not that tan. Your teeth aren't that white. And I got a little bit of acne. Okay? But when I say, I know, I, listen, I know the younger you get, you're going, that's why this dude is a fuddy-duddy. That's what's wrong with this guy. He doesn't understand the world. He doesn't understand. You've got to have that. It's such a cool thing. I'm saying, no, 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 no. Listen, let's get very real. All right? Is everything in the world is telling us that my real self can't come out. Okay, whether it's with a filter, whether it's with pharmaceuticals, whether whether it's just I just stay busy so I don't have to even think about my real self. That's what's discipling all of us in the world. And, and you want to know what? So we, we worship at the temple of people who make their living off of looking away that they don't really look. And we really completely, you wonder what? A faith community cannot exist in that world. A faith, you cannot kneel at that altar and kneel in front of the king. You, it cannot happen. But I, I just fear so much because again, it's so, I get it. You're like, but that dude, what's wrong with that guy? He's too old. I understand that. But here's the truth of the matter is, is that if, I, I wish I learned from little that you don't want to know what? I, I got junk. I grew up with bad acne, right? And it was, it was terrible. We didn't have like filters and all those things. In fact, you didn't have selfies. You look silly taking a selfie of yourself with a camera that I grew up with. It would just look weird. But here's the thing that excites me most and inspires me most and that I love most is that you want to know what? Jesus is like, listen, you are, I, I, I built you perfect. Okay. So when Jesus sits down, Jesus isn't going, no, no, you're perfect. All your decisions are great, Keith. No, no, no. He's saying, man, I built you. I knew you were going to have acne. I knew you were going to look funny. I knew you were going to wear those turquoise Levi's back in seventh grade and you thought they looked good. I knew those things. Okay. And Jesus is going, but here's the deal. Okay, we do that with our kids, right? Man, but, but listen, I love you. Okay, stop putting stupid filters up over something that I created. Because what you're saying is, is that the world is better than me. And going, no, 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 you want to know what? Jesus is enough. And we got to teach our kids from little. Man, that's enough. And not to fall into all of these other things that the world. You know, I asked this question at the beginning. Which of these do you most want to be like? Do you want to be like the woman, the sinner, the prostitute? Do you want to be like Simon? 
The reason why I asked this question was because oftentimes we wanted to be both. Like, I want the vulnerability without the brokenness. Like, I want both, okay? But I, I, I want this question to kind of sink into our minds a little bit. Because, again, I think this woman can teach us an awful lot about, about where we need to be to, to be this fertile soil, to be transformed. So just a few questions that, again, I'm just going to kind of leave these. I'm going to leave them right in front of you. This is, you don't have to answer them this week. There's no homework. There's nothing like that. But have you reached the end of yourself? Can't be the boss of yourself anymore. This is, quite honestly, here's what, the church doesn't need to become cooler. The church doesn't need to become more relevant. The church doesn't need to have a certain type of singing or songs. The church doesn't need a program. The church doesn't need a great... What the church needs is to have disciples all together that are going, I'm at the end of me. Like, I just got to pray and pray and pray. And I just got to hear. That's really what the church needs. Have we re- If we haven't, and I know when I haven't, I'm not praying. When I'm still like in charge of me, I'm not praying. If I reach the end of myself. I love this. This is from the Message Bible, Matthew 5, verse 6. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and His rule. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. So there's a few prayer points, and and this really is the takeaway. This really is because there is no switch to be flipped for us to go, oh my goodness, I'm just like that woman now. What we're dealing with is a hard heart. We are. We've got, the, we've got this hardness in there. We're professionals to a certain degree. We kind of understand it. We, we argue, like oftentimes we just argue about stuff. But taking this home, Psalm 139, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. That's what I'd ask all of us to do as a community on a daily basis is to to lock in, search me, every, every single molecule in my body. Search me, show me, send me your messengers and give me the courage to hear the message you've given them. As great as it would be for God to just like throw these seeds of encouragement directly into our minds and hearts. The crazy thing what he does in our community is he fills brothers and sisters to bring a message to us. If you ever had a brother or sister bring a message and it's really easy, you get angry at them. So I'm praying, God, show me. Show me what's wrong with me. Show me all these things inside of me. Show me. And then you're like, and God, make Lauren better because she's really angering me with what she's saying. He's going, aren't you asking me to show you? I'm sending this girl over to you and she's telling you, but you're angry at her. But having the courage, let me hear my brothers and sisters as we pray this. Strip away all that is false in me. These are bold. These are, these, these, I hope are a little bit scary. And I don't mean that in a bad way, like you're in trouble. 
But it's this idea of we prop ourselves up on things that aren't of God. And to God, I don't know what those are. Just take them out from underneath me. I don't want any more false prop up anything in my life. And show me the futility of the world's false fixes. The world's always going to be messed up. But hopefully, then we're praying, God, help me to see Satan's schemes. When he's, when he's messing with us and trying to get us to think we have to look a certain way and be a certain way and all these things, that we understand that, that we see it. And then as we finish up, here's the deal. Why is this important? Why, why is this so important? It's because if we don't lay this foundation, this foundation of just a, 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 a soft heart, this kind of being coming to the end of ourselves, this just zeroed in on Jesus and being moved by Jesus and understanding how desperately we need Jesus and we really lock into this idea of him washing our sins away, we can't like layer on the, the later teachings, okay? And so this is one of the ways that Paul communicated this because he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. See, a lot of times we jump to that part and we end up having classes and lessons and sermons on how, how do you forgive your brothers and sisters? It's impossible if we haven't connected with Jesus on a one-on-one level and we understand the depth of his forgiveness for us. We put the cart ahead of the horse. So it's that idea. There is another layer of forgiveness, but it can't be layered on until we, until we learn from this lady. And we learn what her heart is like. And we really zero in on this Jesus who is like, I came here to release you for freedom. We're broken, but I'll repair you. All right. So again, just those questions, just take them into the week, praying praying with each other, talking about them. That's what we're going to do. We're going to finish up now. We have a- Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions, please visit ClemsonFoothills.com. You can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC. 